Today is October 26, 2020. Vice President Pence says that he's not slowing down after multiple campaign aides have all tested positive for COVID-19. Pelosi says another wave of stimulus could be passed this week, and early voting is setting records. Welcome back, everybody, to another show. This is Split the Difference podcast, hosted by Austin Taylor. Welcome in. I hope you're ready for a good time. This is the best podcast that we've done so far, so I know that you're going to love it. There's no doubt that we're going to look at the left, and I also have no doubt we're going to look at the right. And we're going to find that sweet truth right there in the middle. All the good stuff that's on the middle, in the middle, in between both sides. Uh, If you're a little bit new... Let me go ahead and tell you what we're about here at Split the Difference Podcast. We are a political podcast focused our best on trying to find some of that good truth that's in the middle between the left side of the aisle and the right. We acknowledge that sometimes the left is going to do things that are good. Sometimes the right is going to do things that are good. Sometimes they're both going to do things that are bad. And we're going to try our best to keep level-headed, to be reasonable, to look at both sides of the aisle, and hopefully find something in the middle that can we can all line up with and we can all agree on and bring a little bit of unity back into all the divisiveness that we see right now in the political landscape. So with all of that being said, let's hop on in to our story number one. So story number one, Pence AIDS test positive for COVID-19. So Mike Pence has been a big, big story here over the latter half of last week and into the weekend. Uh, four of Mike Pence's campaign aides have all tested positive for coronavirus. This includes his chief of staff and his senior political advisor. Um, and, you know, this is some big news. There's a lot of people on the left that are not really loving the response that Mike Pence has had to this. And we'll get into that here in a bit. But um, Pence is primarily on the campaign trail right now, trying to sure up votes for November 3rd, which is really kind of what he, I guess he should be doing. Obviously, he's still working. And that's something that uh, Mark Meadows has come out and said multiple times, who's the, you know, the White House chief of staff there for, uh, for President Trump. Uh, they're still working, but obviously they're still out on the campaign trail as well. Both Pence and Trump are. So, um, all the staff that have tested positive are all quarantining according to CDC guidelines. Um, however, Pence and his wife have not tested positive and they are continuing to go about on the campaign trail. Uh, the White House is arguing that Pence is an essential worker. So he has to basically follow the essential worker guidelines by the CDC, which basically means uh, being as safe as he possibly can be, uh, all while at the same time still going about his duty. He needs to be wearing a face mask, washing his hands, socially distancing from people, all the good stuff, uh, but that he is allowed to continue working. The left says that Mike Pence campaigning is not essential business. They don't think that that's actually essential to Mike Pence's job. I don't know. Honestly, that's way too nuanced to even really get into. Um, Bottom line is the left side of the aisle is pretty outraged about this, saying that, you know, this is just another another blatant disrespect of uh, the pandemic and the coronavirus by the Trump administration. Uh, The big claim here is obviously that Pence and especially Trump don't care about the coronavirus. They don't think it's a big deal. They're talking it down. Um, And, you know, that they simply, you know, Trump and Pence are saying they can't simply shut themselves up and, you know, shut themselves in their basement, not really do anything. But the left is saying that's kind of what needs to happen in order for the country to be able to push through and get rid of the coronavirus. Um, 
their assessment on Trump and Pence kind of, I guess, downplaying the effects of the virus in some ways is true, right? That's in some way accurate. Donald Trump has been dancing on stages and throwing face masks out into crowds of tens of thousands of people uh, <laughs> at some of his campaign rallies. And Mike Pence is out at these incredibly large campaign rallies as well. And I mean, you watch the videos of these things and I mean, it is just a sea of maskless people. So um, basically what it's coming down to is that Trump and Pence have completely solidified and are standing and sticking to their pitch about the coronavirus. And Joe Biden and the left have pretty much solidified and are sticking to their pitch of the coronavirus and what we need to be doing about it going into the election on November 3rd. So you can see this this messaging taking place at all levels of the White House. Trump has solidified this message by basically coming out and saying, like, I'm 74 years old, I've pushed through it, and I'm going to be okay. Um, yes, this is a terrible situation, and we should do everything in our power to stay safe, but we're not going to discontinue everything in our lives and you know, because we have to be able to move on from this eventually. He was saying this last week in the presidential debate as well. Um, and it's actually really interesting because, you know, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have come out multiple times. Nancy Pelosi has come out multiple times. There's been a huge push on the left that in order to be able to mitigate and stop the coronavirus, um, that we have to shut the, the, the economy down. We have to shut the country down again. We have to be able to quarantine people. And you can see that taking place in incredibly Democratic-led uh, states and cities, right? Like New York is a great example. California is still all but completely shut down. So like, you can see that play out in policy as well. That's just kind of an, an objective truth over the past you know eight months or so. The Democrats have leaned more on the side of caution and being willing and able to shut things down, whereas the Republicans obviously have not. Um, but it's interesting because, you know, I saw an article in the Huffington Post that was like Trump falsely accuses uh, Biden of wanting to shut the economy down. And then there was another one that was talking about uh, an interview between CNN's uh, Chris Tapper and the White House uh, chief of staff, Mark Meadows, and um, which we're actually going to watch a bit of that interview in a second. But um, Mark Meadows says that Joe Biden wants to shut the economy down or shut the country down. And like, that's a position that Joe Biden has repeatedly come out and said um, in the debate last week, Biden didn't come out and all out say outright say that he wants to completely shut everything down. But I mean, that has been a Democratic talking point for a while. But a lot of people on the left are starting to move towards, oh, well, no, that's not what Joe Biden says. That's not what Joe Biden wants to do. Uh, Joe Biden just wants for people to actually take it seriously. Hopefully, you know, on their in their eyes, uh, showing a stark contrast from Trump and Pence who don't take it seriously, supposedly. So... Um, that's weird, though, because that's a total flip in messaging a little bit from what Joe Biden and the Democrats have been saying, whereas Trump, I feel like, has been pretty consistent all the way through. Yes, we need to take this seriously, but no, we're not going to discontinue the entirety of our lives in order to be able to mitigate the effects of a coronavirus that, uh, in, a, in a pandemic or a virus that is not actually... Um, nearly as deadly as we thought that it was going to be. So um, here is Mark Meadows, the White House Chief of Staff, talking with Jake Tapper on CNN about what's going on with Pence and Trump. Um, and it's a pretty interesting, I think, kind of like talk back and forth. Uh, Meadows basically lining up pretty much what the Trump is going, Trump administration is going to stick with um, through the end of, uh, through into November. So let's go ahead and take a listen to this now. Control. So, so here's what we have to do. 
we're not going to control the pandemic. We are going to control the fact that we get uh, vaccines, therapeutics, and other mitigation. Why aren't we going to get control of the because, pandemic? But because it is a contagious virus, just like the flu. Yeah, but why not it's make contag- efforts to contain it? Well, we are making efforts to contain it. By and, running and all over the country not wearing a mask? Jake, that's what the vice president is doing. We can, we can get doing. into the back, back and forth. Let, let me just say this is what we need to do is make sure that we have the proper mitigation factors, whether it's therapies or vaccines or treatments, to make sure that people don't die from this. But to suggest that we're going to actually quarantine all of America, lock down no our economy. No one's saying that. Well, that, they are. Joe Biden's saying that. He says, lock everybody that's down. We're going to have, we're gonna have a dark. We're going to have a dark. So uh, that's Jake Tapper going back and forth with Mark Meadows there. So um, let's go ahead, I guess, hop in, take a little bit of a look at like what Trump is saying about all of this, because that's Mark Meadows pretty much getting into the to the meat of what Trump is saying. So he first like the first part of that clip you see Meadows is basically like, we're not going to be able to stop this. We're not going to be able to control this. And Tapper pushes back on it. And he's like, what do you mean that we're not going to be able to stop this or control this? And Mark Meadows goes in to basically say, in a, I guess a summation is that trying to stop and completely end the coronavirus from spreading right now is a total fool's errand. And so you can get, you know, you can go back and forth and debate whether or not there should have been things that were done in February and March and April in order to be able to stop from where we're at right now. Um, you can obviously critique Trump's uh, the way that he went about trying to mitigate the problems of the coronavirus. You can debate whether or not more stimulus should have been handed out. All of those things absolutely are up for for debate. But Mark Meadows is 100% correct that there is no way you're stopping the coronavirus right now. There's no way. I mean, you're, we're looking at now cases of sick, new cases, 60, 70, 80,000 people a day are getting the coronavirus. You're not, you're not slowing that down. You're not stopping that. You're seeing it increase in pretty much every single developed country that some of them that have shut down their economies completely, some of them that have done extensive quarantining, some of them that haven't done that. And most all of them are increasing in cases right now. And that's not necessarily a defense of everything that Trump has done, because I don't think that Trump has done everything perfectly. I don't know that anybody could have, but Trump hasn't handled everything perfectly. But there's no way you're going to stop all of this right now because it is full bore sweeping across the country with tens of thousands of new cases a day. So what Mark Meadows is saying, what Trump is saying now is because we're not going to be able to stop it, here are the things that we need to do in order to be able to make sure that people don't die. We know that people are going to get it. We know that people are going to become infected. What are the things that we need to do to make sure that the mortality rate continues to decrease because it has decreased significantly since April? Um, And that's going to be done by vaccines. That's going to be done by better treatment. That's going to be done by better medicine, okay? Along with wearing your face mask, social distancing, washing your hands, all the good stuff everybody's been preaching for months and months now. Um, So pretty much what Trump is doing is he's saying he's putting all his eggs into the vaccine and medicine basket. That's pretty much it. If you've listened to Trump after he got the coronavirus and he's come out and he's been talking, a lot of what he's been saying is, listen, I got great treatment. There was good medicine. I'm perfectly fine right now. They kind of juiced me up and I'm out here on the campaign trail. I'm going and I'm ready to go. There's no reason why we can't get this out to all the American people that need it. Um, Now, whether or not they actually will be able to get it out to all American people, that's obviously going to be, uh, that is yet to be seen. But 
um, Mark Meadows and Trump coming out and saying, there's no way you're going to be able to stop all of it. They're absolutely right. And Jake Tapper going out and basically sitting there and Jake Tapper is, I mean, he is not a journalist. Like he is a hundred percent pushing obviously for the democratic agenda. Nothing wrong with that. But I think that oftentimes a lot of the anchors there at CNN act like they're journalists and they're not really journalists. He's pretty much campaigning for Joe Biden. But it's the same thing as Tucker Carlson on Fox News. Like, Tucker Carlson is unashamedly Republican. That's his shtick. Whatever, nothing wrong with that. All I'm going to say is Jake Tapper's coming after Mark Meadows hard there, and what he's saying is, what do you mean we can't slow it down? Why shouldn't we be trying to slow it down? We need to be putting things in place to slow it down. And Mark Meadows is like, dude, how? What are you going to do? I mean, it is it is growing exponentially almost at this point. And he's, I mean, he's right. I mean, you can come out and say that you can wear masks and social distance and you can do everything you can. But like the only way you can stop this coronavirus from sweeping through the rest of the nation is pretty much by saying no one's allowed to leave their house. And that's what they've done in Russia. And that's what they've done in China. And from what we can tell, we have no idea if the numbers are accurate, but in China right now, supposedly it's not growing nearly as much as it is in the United States. Well, that's because they had literally, they were literally welding people into their doors and into their rooms just a couple months ago. Well, we're not going to do that in America because we believe in rights. So, uh, you know, to sit there and say, oh, well, you know, Donald Trump doesn't care. He wants it to sweep the country. Uh, that's a, that's kind of a false dichotomy there. Like you, it's not either that, you know, the coronavirus either runs rampant across the country or it doesn't move at all. Like that's a false dichotomy. There's plenty of area in between that. So, um, all of that to say the mortality rate actually is significantly down. Um, and that is a good thing. So if you look, according to New York times, uh, the most deaths that we had in one day was April 15th, at a little over 2,700 deaths in one day. It's a lot of deaths in one day from a pandemic. Um, new cases at that time for the weeks leading up to it and a week or so afterwards were sitting at around 25,000 to maybe a little over 30,000 a day. Okay. Right now, over the past couple of days, we've been looking at deaths between about 500 to 1,000 a day. Within the past week or so, there's definitely been a huge uptick in new cases, but we're sitting right around 50 to 80, over 80,000 cases, new cases a day. So our number of people that are dying is down by well over half, right? That's like a 60% of what it was in early, like mid-April, right? But our new cases a day are two and even some almost three times higher than what they were just a couple around that same time. So it's definitely true that treatment, that medications, that, that all of that stuff is getting better and is improving. We're learning how to deal with the coronavirus. We're learning how to deal with the pandemic. Um, and it's obvious that our ability to be able to treat people with the coronavirus has gotten significantly better. Of course, having anybody that is, that is passing away from the coronavirus is not a good thing. But what Trump is basically staking his claim on, for better or worse, going into November 3rd, is that the country does, the American people don't want to be shut down anymore. They don't want the economy to be shut down. And what they want is to be able to go about their daily lives and have the responsibility and the onus to uh, treat other people with respect and to try not to spread around the coronavirus. They want that to be put on them. And I'm the guy that's going to put it on them uh, or give them the responsibility at least. So, Bottom line is, I don't know. <laughs> Obviously, we've been talking about the coronavirus so much this year. It's the big topic. It's the hot topic of the year. 
Don't be surprised if we get rolling around on November 4th, November 5th, November 6th, and coronavirus is not nearly as big of a story anymore. That's all I'm going to say. Maybe that's a controversial opinion. I don't know. I think that as soon as a week or so passes after the election, whoever it is that wins, whether it's Biden or whether it's Trump, I don't think that the coronavirus is going to be talked about nearly as much as it is right now. So we'll have to just wait and see how all that ends up playing out. So with all that, let's go ahead and move on into our story number two. So story two, Pelosi says that they are nearing a deal on stimulus. Interesting. Right here, only nine to 10 days before the election, they decide that they're going to try and close on a stimulus deal. So they don't have a deal right now. Uh, but they are working on it, supposedly, which is what they've been doing since, like, May. Um, but she's basically, uh, Pelosi's coming out, doing a whole bunch of talking. She's going on CNN. She's going on all the big news networks. And she's saying, listen, we're doing everything we can. We're going to try our best to be able to get something passed. But, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to work with Mitch McConnell. He's just so hard to work with. And then you look on the other side of the aisle, the Republicans are saying, well, that Nancy Pelosi, she's just so hard to work with. I just, I just can't get anything done. I just don't know what we're going to do. And uh, the truth is that both of them obviously are very difficult to work with because both of them are doing their best to try and get what each side wants done, which are very, very opposed in a lot of ways. So uh, let's hop in and take a look at Nancy Pelosi sitting there talking to actually uh, Tapper again. So let's go ahead and listen in. Um, to this conversation she has now talking about a stimulus for the upcoming week. Let's talk about that. You said a few days ago that, quote, we'd have to have our legislation all written by the end of the week to get right. it passed by Election Day. That was last week. You still have not reached a deal. Is it fair to say that a coronavirus relief package is not going to be signed into law before Election Day? There just isn't the time to do it? Well, you know, I'll never give up hope. I'm optimistic. Uh, we put pen to paper and have been writing uh, the bill on based on of what we hope will be the outcome, what they said they would get back mm -hmm. to us on. Here's the thing. For us to do anything, I want to just say to our friends out there who are suffering and the country is suffering, working families are suffering, millions more into poverty. In the month of September, nearly 900,000 women left the workforce. So we have to act. Uh, to do anything, though, that does not crush the virus is really official malfeasance. Uh, I'll go ahead and stop right there. So uh, that's one of the big, uh, we'll finish up the video in a second, but one of the big points that Nancy Pelosi is getting out here, and you heard her say it right then, is if we don't do everything we can to crush the virus, then pretty much everything we're doing right here is a moot point. She wants to make it very clear that as long as the coronavirus is still going around, just because we pass coronavirus stimulus doesn't mean that everything is going to be fixed and everything's going to be changed. We have to crush the virus is what she's saying. So obviously that's a little bit of the story. Number one, not what I was talking about a bit. Um, the Democrats are lined up on uh, we have to get rid of eradicate the virus completely before everything is going. The world's going to go back to normal. Everything's going to be OK. So hop in. Let's listen to the rest of this. And to crush the virus, we just have to follow the science, testing, tracing, treatment mask wearing, ventilation, separation, right. and the rest. And that is what Vice President Biden has put forth. So we have it in our bill. They said they're going to get back. Last week, you remember, they said uh, we'll support the testing language with minor touch. Well, that was 55% of the language. We're still waiting for the final OK. And that is a central issue in all of this. We cannot just say, what? President, here's trillions of dollars. Spend it any way you right. want. 
We right. have a plan, a strategic plan. Right. So um, also, just before we get on and talk into anything else about this, notice the incredible difference between Jake Tapper talked and interviewing Nancy Pelosi right there, as opposed to the way that he talked to Mark Meadows earlier. <laughs> very, very clear difference there. So per usual, Pelosi is working to place some blame on McConnell. She's working to uh, basically say that with the Republicans and Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, like all of these people are kind of working against us, but we're working hard to be able to get it done. The pose and the way that Nancy Pelosi wants to appear to the to the American people is very political, very, very calculated. Nancy Pelosi is a smart woman. I don't care if you're a Republican and you disagree with every single thing that she says, Nancy Pelosi is smart. She has gotten there because she knows what she's doing. She knows how to politic very well. And what she's doing is she is positioning herself so that if and when this coronavirus stimulus gets passed, if it's right now before the election or if it's after the election, she wants to basically be able to stand up in front of the American people and be like, listen, we as the Democrats have done every single thing that we can to get this money to you, but the Republicans want to stop that every bit. And she's getting a lot of help from a lot of the media. But I mean, the Democrats have stood up in a lot of ways and really have been the ones pushing hard for coronavirus stimulus. And we'll talk about that in a little bit about kind of like the differences between the left and the right, and what they want out of the stimulus. But um, the key here, I think, and, and this is what Pelosi's kind of hinting at, both parties want to get a stimulus done. They do. Because it's both in their best vested interest. But they only want to be able to get this coronavirus stimulus passed if they're going to be the ones getting credit for it. The Democrats don't want to pass the stimulus if the Republicans are going to be like, we pass the stimulus. And the same with the other way around. If Trump and the Republicans are able to stand up two or three days before the election and say, listen, guys, we did it. We did it. We got you a stimulus package done. We're getting you checks out as soon as possible. We're going to have a check in your pocket before Christmas. Then you know that's going to help the Republicans a lot going into November 3rd, especially because President Trump is the incumbent. So what are the big things that each side wants? Why can't they come to a little bit of an agreement? Why can't they come to a compromise? So let's go ahead and look at the left. So what does the left want? The left wants, in a lot of ways, some pretty vast social programs, okay? They want to put a lot of good things uh, in it for specifically, I think, you know, big thing the Democrats normally like to run on is helping out the little man. But what we've seen is that they also are trying to push in a lot of their more broader agenda or a lot of, a, I guess, a, a bigger agenda into these stimulus agreements to be able to get stuff passed. So uh, much of the left wants to increase social programs and increase the size of the federal government. This is a pretty standard Democratic uh, side of the aisle um, pushing, or I guess talking point, is they oftentimes want to be able to push programs like welfare or food stamps or uh, Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare. That's why there's a big push on the left to have more socialized health care because they want to be able to provide that stuff at you know the expense, the open expense of increased taxes in order for, for the federal government to be able to help people that are on the lower end of the totem pole, pole socioeconomically, right? It doesn't change with the stimulus bills. They want to be able to get a stimulus bill passed that is going to get money into the hands of the poorest people in America. Okay, that's pretty much it. But they also are wanting to throw in a lot of other stuff with these bills that are uh, things that the Republicans are obviously going to oppose. If it was just a bill that was, we're going to send out checks to uh, every single American that's you know over the age of 18, 
I think Republicans and Democrats would both be like, cool, sign it, let's get it passed. But we've also seen, like in the in the uh, Heroes Act that was tried, they tried to pass and get through, they approved it in the House earlier this year. Um, they're trying to push through a lot of things that in a lot of ways are going to take away some of the rights of Americans, and they're going to uh, increase the size and the budget of the federal government. Um, you see this happen a lot during times of panic, okay? You saw it during 2001, um, during 9-11, with the Patriot Act that was signed. It was an incredible boasting or bolstering up of the federal government in order to be able to take more control and more power over things. You saw the exact same thing in 2008. And this is not just a Republican and not just a Democratic thing, right? Both Republicans and Democrats both do this, okay? Um, they, where they step in and the federal government starts to grow and they start to put their hands and get their hands more intertwined in different things. So um, when, you see, when you see a time where people legitimately need help, right? They're, they're incredibly oppressed. They, they feel like there's nothing they can do. There's nowhere they can go. They don't have the money to be able to feed their kids. That's oftentimes when the government steps in and takes control. Uh, the Democrats do want a larger government, right? That's that's just what one of the things that they want, that they want to be able to see, because they believe that a larger government would be able to distribute and help people that are more impoverished all the way across the board. I'm not going to get into the ethics of that. I'm not going to get into whether or not that's right or wrong, or I think that's right or wrong. That's just normally the trope or the, the thing that Democrats most often want. Um, so... We saw earlier in the year the Heroes Act, Pelosi put a whole bunch of stuff in there about election laws, a whole bunch of stuff about green energy and all kinds of more, I guess, left-leaning stuff. And the Republicans in the Senate were like, no, we're not doing it. That's a large part why it didn't get passed. So right side of the aisle. The right is torn, I think, in a lot of ways. They're not nearly as united as the Democrats around this because the right is torn between being fiscally conservative, not spending money, and wanting to help the American people. So the right side of the aisle has pretty much always stood for fiscal conservatism. Um, I personally think a lot of that has totally gone out the window with Donald Trump being in office. If there's anything, especially, I don't care if you're a diehard conservative right winger and you absolutely love Donald Trump, there's anything that Donald Trump has not been very good about, it's the purse. I mean, the the uh, national debt has gone up by 36% in the last four years, uh, you know, since he took since he took office, up to $27 trillion right now. A lot of that, yes, has to do with the pandemic and the coronavirus, which is out of his control in a lot of ways. But um, either way, Donald Trump likes to spend money. Um, he, he lowered taxes and didn't take away a whole lot of uh, government spending. So... Um, this is not easy to run on though. Okay. Not a lot of people like to vote in people, uh, vote in politicians that say that they're going to take away government handouts. Once again, once the government is sending money out or once people get used to the government giving them money, very, very difficult to be able to take that away. And it's also difficult to make the argument that it should be taken away. So, um, with all that being said, though, there's definitely a conservative argument for the government sending out money to the American people and stimulus checks to the American people, and it kind of falls into and aligns with the Fifth Amendment. So within the Fifth Amendment, there is specific language about basically a person may not be deprived of life, liberty, or property without the due process of law, nor shall private property be taken away for public use without just compensation. So the idea here a lot of conservatives are making is that the government made it so people couldn't do what they wanted to do. They couldn't act in the way they wanted to act. And as a result, the government should compensate for, compensate them for it. So the Republicans 
want, a lot of the Republicans want this just compensation, but they don't want a bunch of different things layered into the bill, and they pretty much only want to be able to send out a small stimulus to American families so as to not continue to bloat the federal budget. So they're going back and forth on this. They're fighting back and forth. Obviously, both sides want to be able to take credit. Will they be able to get it passed and get everything done before November 3rd? Honestly, I'm extremely doubtful, but I would love to be able to see something happen because I personally do line up on the side of I want to be more fiscally conservative, but it was the government's decision to shut everything down, and I do think it's the government's responsibility to be able to uh, help people that are in that socioeconomic level where they are totally distraught right now and need the help. I do think that it's the government's responsibility to help for that, if they were the ones that shut the economy down to begin with and are making things continue to run at only 50% capacity. That's just my opinion, but um, we'll have to see how all of this plays out here over the next week or so. All right, and let's go ahead and hop on in now to our story number three. So this will be a quick one, uh, but story number three, almost 60 million people have voted early. So at this point, that is very high for early voting. Many are saying that this could put the United States on pace for about 85 million people or so voting in early voting, which would put us at about 150 million voting total, which would actually place this election, 2020, at just over 62 to maybe around 63% of the uh, eligible voting populace turning out to vote, which would be the highest in about 50 years. That would be pretty incredible. So let's hop on in. Actually, ABC reported on this out of New York. Let's hop in and take a quick look at uh, what they reported earlier. This is the first time early voting has been allowed in New York in a presidential election. Many voters waiting hours outside arenas, museums, and precincts determined to make their voices heard. Before you came out here, were you guys just like determined to stay in line for however long it took yes, yes, in yes, order yes. to get your vote in? Yeah. Days if it had to be. <laughs> <laughs> and why is that? Why is this election so important for you? It's the most important election of our lifetime. We have to save the country. This wave of enthusiasm sweeping across the city. I've been waiting about four hours. I'm voting for Trump because I believe that he's trying to change some of the system. In states reporting data, an unprecedented 57 million ballots have already been cast. That's more than 40% of the total votes counted in the 2016 general election. All right. So uh, you can see right now, it's, uh, you know, right now we're sitting at almost 40% of the total votes that were cast in the general election. You also can see that there were a lot of people there that were saying that they had been waiting for hours and hours. Um, I'm sure all of you at this point have seen the ads all over TV and social media. I mean, heck, I even put uh, Instagram post last week about remember, you know, just a quick reminder, you can go out and early vote right now. You can go vote. Um, check out my Instagram if you haven't seen it already. Shameless plug. Uh, but it's honestly pretty awesome to see the country and to see so many people that are pushing people to go out and to make their voices heard. Go out and vote. Cash your vote. Put, put it in to the ballot who it is that you think needs to be running this country. This is at the state level, at the federal level, at the local level. It's awesome to be able to see this. And, and it also is apparent that in times in our history where there's a lot of divisiveness or there's some incredibly sharp disagreements about how the country needs to be run. Oftentimes that's where you see the greatest voter turnout. You see that in the 1840s. I think in the 1840s or 30s, there was like a, there was a voter turnout of like over 80, 90 percent. 
Now, granted, the eligible voters at the time, the pool of eligible voters were, was significantly smaller because you could only vote if you were like a, you know, a white man that owned property. But there were still out of eligible voters, like over 80, 85 percent of people that would go out and actually vote. So I would love to be able to see us get back to that place. I would love to see the country have 90, 95, 98 percent, 100 percent of eligible voters out going and putting their votes in. So um, it's going to be awesome to see how many people actually vote, how that will bode for Democrats or Republicans. Not really sure. I think that there's definitely a mixture of Trump lost the popular vote in 2016. So there's a lot of Democrats that are saying, well, we just need more people to vote. If we have more people that go out and vote, then obviously we're going to be able to get out and beat Trump because Trump is not the most popular president or he's not going to win the popular vote. Whereas, you know, the Republicans are coming out and saying, well, obviously the only way to be able to get the popular vote is if you tell everybody and you get all the people out to vote and they vote for Trump. So it's going to be interesting to see how all this kind of goes back and forth. Um, all I'll say here is regardless of how you vote, right? Nothing. If you want to vote on the left side of the aisle, nothing wrong with that at all. Plenty of reasons to do it. If you want to vote on the right side of the aisle, nothing wrong with that. Plenty of reasons to do that. But each candidate that's running is going to be different and they're going to have different positions and they're going to be running based upon things that are important to what they believe is important to their specific electorate, right? This makes it incredibly important to research the people that are on the ballots in your specific district, whether it's uh, at a local level, municipality level, whether it's a state level, and of course, obviously the federal level as well. The presidential elections always get the most coverage. They always get the most publicity because, of course, it's a huge deal. You know, you you want to be able to have someone who's at the top, you know, the top dog position in the country to be someone that you believe can run the country, can run the country well. But like an Alexis de Tocqueville's Democracy in America, municipalities are incredibly important. And that's one of the things that he argues in his book, Democracy in America, which if you haven't read that book, absolutely phenomenal book. Look at the United States democracy back in like the 1830s and 40s. Really cool. But anyways, the important, one of the things that makes the United States Republic so different from so many other republics and countries throughout the world is that we, there is so much more of a focus on the municipal level, right? And that's something that's very, very easy to get away from in this election season. Go and check it out, who it is that's on the ballot for where, you're, where it is that you're going to be voting in your precinct. Who are you voting for? Why are you voting for them? What's important to you? Are there you know specific things that are most important to you that you feel like you couldn't vote for somebody else on the ballot that doesn't hold those specific values? Um, are there things that are not as important to you? Like, how do you rank them? What is it that you do in order to be able to figure that out? And how do you research those, all of those candidates? I mean, those are all good things to be thinking about and processing through. And we're living at a point in time right now where you can get on your phone, click a button and figure out exactly who it is that's going to be on your ballot and look at every single one of their websites, all of their platforms, what it is they believe and what's important to them. You can look up their voting records if they're an incumbent. You can look up the things that they've done before they were running for office. You can do plenty of research, and it's an awesome time to be a voter, if I say so, if I can say so myself. So um, get out, do your research, figure out what's important to you, and go out and cast your vote.
So, hopping off my soapbox, let's go ahead and finish up the show with something that is incredibly fun to me. I think it's the most fun part of the show, something that made me smile. So, in light of it being the spookiest week of the entire year, with Halloween just here in a couple days, we're going to have a couple of fun facts about the scary holiday. So, first fun fact. Halloween is actually the second biggest holiday in the country by spending. Many of you may know this already, but it's only behind Christmas. Consumers last year spent almost $9 billion. $9 billion. That is a whole lot of candy and costumes. Second fact is, trick-or-treating has actually been around since the Middle Ages in Scotland and Ireland. Back then it was known as guising, and young people dressed up in costumes and asked for food or money in exchange for songs, poems, or other, quote, tricks. Today the tradition has morphed into children obviously getting dressed up in fun different costumes and then asking for candy. So those are your super spooky and also really fun facts about Halloween. We're going to go ahead and wrap up the show there. Thank you so much for stopping in and listening. Uh, please hit me up on all of the different social medias. Check me out on YouTube. Check out my website, splitthedifference.com. That is splitthedifference.com with only one T. Check me out, you know, give me a like, give me a subscribe, drop me a review, a five-star review if you like it and if you love it and if you want some more of it. Thank you for stopping by and tuning in. Uh, this is Austin Taylor with Split the Difference Podcast. Please remember, always stay level-headed, be reasonable, and always split the difference.